We're going back this morning to our uh, series of uh, study that we've been doing on the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, this morning we're going to talk specifically on revelation gifts. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I will begin reading from verse 1. If you have uh, kind of just joined us recently and uh, started attending the church recently, some of these things... Uh, we're just building on a foundation that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. So I'd encourage you, uh, even if some of these things might be a little new, I'd encourage you to please uh, make use of what we have on our website. All our old uh, uh, teaching messages, outlines are on our website and even the audio files. So you can get them, get them updated and, uh, and just you know, keep up, uh, get up to speed on what we're doing here. Or if you want, you could order the CDs and the messages will be available to you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read from verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes um, when we kind of talk about uh, some of these things uh, on a Sunday morning service, you know, uh, uh, many times even as a pastor, I'm, I'm concerned. It's like, you know, is this too heavy for the people? And how is it too Heavy for people to digest and receive. But the Bible tells us that God's people must not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So I've got my permit from heaven. Amen. Let's go ahead and learn about the gift of the Spirit and uh, get activated, get flowing in these things. I uh, will read now to verse 4. Go down to verse 4. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there are different gifts, a variety of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit to uh, releases them through us. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries or offices, but it's the same Lord who's being served. So there are different offices in the body of Christ, but it's the same Lord who's ahead of all of them and who's being served. Verse 6, and the diversities of activities or operations, but it is the same God who works all in all. So it is the same God who's working all of these gifts, the diversities of operations. So although in this series we are defining the gifts and explaining how they work and looking at examples and so on, we must keep in mind that our diversities of operations, meaning the way these gifts operate are so different. So we cannot you know, necessarily say this is the only way they operate. No, the gifts operate in a variety of ways. So while we explain to some extent these gifts, let's keep in mind that there can be so many different ways how these gifts operate. What are these gifts? Verse 7 but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. That means every believer can have the manifestations of the Spirit. Amen? And uh, I just want to remind you what we've already said. That every believer can ex expect the manifestations of all nine of the gifts. You know, uh, it's not like, you know, I have one gift, somebody else has two gifts, somebody else has three gifts. No, every believer can expect the manifestation of all nine of the gifts. Why do we say that? For several reasons. Because this verse says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the common good. And then it says to one is given, to one is given, to one is given. But the context of what Paul is writing as he continues on through the 14th chapter is a given service. In a given service, when we are gathered together in that service, one believer will have one or two, another believer will have another two, or another uh, gifts operating, another one will have another gift, set of gifts operating. Now we come back to another service, that same believer will have some other gifts flowing in his life this time, the other believer will have some other set of gifts flowing through his life this, this time, right? 
And the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 12, earnestly desire the best gifts. So what is the best gift? And I'm just repeating what we've said earlier. The best gift is a gift that's most appropriate for that situation. So when somebody is sick, the best gift is a gift of healing. It's, there's, there's no need for a prophecy. I mean, prophecy might, you know, lift up his spirit a little bit. But what he really needs is the gifts of healing. So every believer is told to design the best gift. So in one situation, you might design the gifts of healing. Uh, when a person is depressed, um, there's nothing wrong in their body. Then at that point, they don't need the gift of healing. Maybe what will really be of best for them is a prophecy, a word that will encourage them. So the same believer in that situation is desiring the gift of prophecy. The another reason why we say that every believer can have all nine of the gifts manifesting through his or her life is because Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 14:1, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. How many people are to pursue love? All. If all are to pursue love, then all are also to desire spiritual gifts. He didn't say desire one gift. He said desire spiritual gifts, which means going back all nine of them. Amen. So all believers, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom to the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one of the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit distributes them depending on where we are, which, what situation we're in. The Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. Now, we categorize these gifts in, in the three broad categories. Uh, the vocal gifts, the revelation gifts, and the power gifts. We've talked about the gift of prophecy uh, several Sundays ago. This morning, I want to talk about the revelation gifts, which are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. What we want to do is we want to give a definition for these gifts. We want to look at some biblical examples. We want to talk about how they operate through us, how we can expect them to operate through us in everyday life. So what are we going to do with these three gifts? We're going to keep it uh, pretty simple, basic, so that all of us can get started, and then maybe sometime later we can just advance in these gifts. So let's talk about the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. What is the definition? What is a word of wisdom? See, God has all, God is all wisdom. A word is a part of a sentence. It's a fragment. It's not the complete sentence. It's a piece of a sentence. So a word of wisdom means God gives us a piece of His wisdom. It's a supernatural impartation of divine wisdom. So God imparts a piece of His wisdom. For what purpose? It's supernaturally imparted to a believer to reveal the mind and the purpose and the will of God. So it reveals something. It reveals the mind, the purpose, and the will of God in a given situation. And what do you do with it? We, it's, you can use the word of wisdom to solve a problem, uh, to know what course of action to take, uh, to know what is coming up in the future. Uh, it can also, a word of wisdom also is used to release creative, artistic, scientific, or intelligent expression of a concept or idea. So word of wisdom serves many different purposes. You can solve a problem. You know what course of action to take. Uh, you know what is coming up in the future. Uh, you can also give 
uh, an expression to a concept or idea, whether in a creative or artistic or scientific or intelligent ways. Now, the gift of the word of wisdom is different from acquired wisdom. See, all of us just going through life, uh, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, we're going to acquire some wisdom. Amen? Either you know, you're going to read the word of God, you're going to go through life's experiences, you're going to be going to learn from each other. So we are going to acquire wisdom. Now the gift of the word of wisdom is different from acquired wisdom because it's an impart, supernatural impartation that comes in a moment of time. It's given to somebody. It's not something he has acquired over time. Now we need both. We must grow in acquired wisdom. We must study the word of God, understand the ways of God, learn from each other, acquire and grow in wisdom. And at the same time, we need to be open to the gift of the word of wisdom. Amen? Now let's look at some biblical examples here of, 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 of the word of wisdom. Let's go through some examples quickly from the Old Testament. Think about Joseph. Joseph was able to interpret dreams by the gift of the word of wisdom. So dream interpretation is another expression of the gift of the word of wisdom. People have dreams, you're able to interpret them by the gift of the word of wisdom. In addition to that, not only did Joseph interpret dreams, but he also explained to Pharaoh what course of action he had to take. Pharaoh had a dream. He saw, he saw, he saw seven big cows, very strong cows coming up out of the river. And then he saw seven thin cows, weak cows. They came and they ate up the big, well-fed cows. And he woke up. He didn't know what the meaning of the dream was. And he didn't know, you know, what he's supposed to do with that dream. So here comes Joseph. He interprets the meaning of the dream. He says, you know, this is what God is saying. You know, Joseph said, dreams, interpretation of dreams belong to God. He's saying, look, you know, I'm tapping into divine ability. This is a gift from, from God. He says, this is what the, the dream means. You're going to have seven years of plenty and there are going to be seven years of Famine. But he just doesn't say, okay, Pharaoh, now you figure out what you want to do. No, he interprets a dream and then he goes on to say, okay, here's what you need to do. In the seven years of plenty, set aside 20%. Tell everybody to bring 20% as tax. New tax rate from now on. 20% for everybody, farming, taking care of everything. 20%, bring it in. And then in the seven years of famine, you sell this back to the and Pharaoh says, whoa, which college did you graduate from? Yeah. No, but Joseph, you know, the best education he had was called sheep education. All he did was take care of sheep. And yet, because of this gift of the word of wisdom, he not only interpreted the dream, but he told Pharaoh what to do. And Pharaoh said, since we can't find anybody else who is so wise and prudent as Joseph, let Joseph become the prime minister let him administer this in my kingdom. Amen. Now, uh, we are going to look at several Old Testament examples as we study these three revelation gifts. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's not called by the name, gift of the word of wisdom or the gift of the word of knowledge. But the point is this, it's the same Holy Spirit was working then, doing the same thing. Just that in the New Testament, it's now given for us very nicely, you know, gift of word of wisdom, gift of healing. But the Holy Spirit, who work, who's working through us, was also working then. He hasn't changed. Amen? Another example of, uh, of the word of wisdom here is that of uh, Bezalel. If you read about this in Exodus 31, um, it, uh, Exodus chapter 31, I'll just uh, read this for you. Exodus chapter 31. God says in verse 2, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, 
to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze. So basically, just an, just an ordinary man, but God is saying, I'm doing something. I'm giving him a divine enablement by the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom, skill, and ability to design all these artistic things. Okay? So the gift of the word of wisdom, bringing a concept and an idea and giving you the ability to express it, whether in an artistic way, we will see a little later on about um, intelligent design. If you look at First Chronicles, the 28th chapter, we read about King David. Once again, David began as a shepherd boy. He was not a highly educated man. He was just an ordinary shepherd boy. Uh, he goes through several experiences in life. Finally, comes the time for him to um, make preparations for the building of the temple. And 1 Chronicles 28, verses 11 and 12, here's what David says. This is what the Bible says. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule. Its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit, of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for the dedicated things. And verse 19, all this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me into a concept, an intelligent expression. In this case, it was an architectural engineering drawing of what the temple should be like. From an ordinary man like David who was not trained in this, the gift of the word of wisdom. Think about Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. It says that God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and in all wisdom, in all the literature and the science of the Babylonians. God gave them supernatural impartation in this area. Amen. So the gift of the word of wisdom can manifest in so many ways. It can be to solve a problem, to give an expression, whether it's in creative ability like Bezalel, to intelligent design like David, or uh, scientific learning, ability to learn and solve problems uh, as in Daniel and his friends. We also see something very interesting in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. If you go with me to Matthew 22, you see the gift of the word of wisdom helping Jesus get out of a tight situation. In Matthew 22, verse 15, it says, The Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. How they, they wanted to trap Jesus in his conversation. So they sent to him the disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. You know, they're setting him up. They're saying, Jesus, you know, we know that you come from God and you don't have any respect for uh, human authority. So they're setting him up. And then here's what they ask him, verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they're trying to trap him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, if Jesus said yes, then they'll say, well, look, you're saying you come from God. You're submitting to human authority. And you can't be a true Jew. You're supporting the Roman government. So all the Jews will be against him. But if Jesus said no, then they will hand him over to the Roman soldiers saying, hey, this man is telling people not to give taxes to Caesar. It's a very tight situation. He can't say yes. He can't say no. How did Jesus respond? Jesus says, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought to him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. 
a gift of a word of wisdom to know how to handle a difficult situation and to come out of it. Amen. So how does, how do we, how does this operate for us in our daily life? Uh, uh, operations of the word of wisdom, it can take place in counseling. Now you're talking to somebody, uh, you know, they're asking you for some counsel, some guidance, and you pray in your spirit and say, God, give me a gift of a word of wisdom. Give me a word of wisdom, Lord, so that I can guide this person correctly. And God drops something in your spirit and you counsel them. So you tell them this is what you need to do. In the ministry of the word, to know what is the word that you're supposed to speak. Through the word of wisdom, you will know what is the right word to speak. In your business, in your workplace, you know, God, don't be afraid to ask God for the gift of the word of wisdom in your workplace. Amen. You say, you know, but this is such a carnal thing. You know, when I'm behind the pulpit, I can ask God for word of wisdom. But look here, I'm in my office. And I'm, you know, I'm working among all these people who, you know, do all these other things. You, know, you mean God would be interested in giving me a word of wisdom over here? Of course. Who was Joseph working for? He was in Pharaoh, an Egyptian king's play, place. Not only did he use that word of wisdom to interpret the dream, but he showed him exactly how to save an entire nation. Amen. So don't be afraid to ask God for a gift of word of wisdom whenever you're in your place of work. Why? Because as you release that and help people solve problems, etc., God is going to get the glory. God's going to look good. God's going to be glorified. God's name is going to be lifted up. So don't be afraid, even in your workplace, to ask the Lord. Uh, for a gift of word of wisdom. In, every situa in situations of life that are difficult, that you can't solve, ask the Lord, say, God, give me a word of wisdom here. And God will release a word. Now, how He communicates, we've already touched upon it a little earlier on, through the five senses of the Spirit. Three of them are the main uh, ways, to, to what you hear, what you see, and what you feel. God will release the word of wisdom through those senses, and you catch that word, and you do what you have to do with that. In making decisions about the future, you can use a word of wisdom. In coming up with an intelligent expression, whether it's creative work, artistic work, scientific work, intelligent, whatever, God, there's a concept, there's an idea, you need to express it. Tap into the word of wisdom. Amen. So I want to encourage all of us, you know, this is exciting. The gift of the word of wisdom in you um, that you can tap into in everyday life to bless others, to solve people's problems, to, to help things uh, grow, increase, become better. Tap into it. Ask, pray, and be sensitive to the Lord and use the word of wisdom. The gift of the word of knowledge. Again, like the word of wisdom, word of knowledge is only a piece of God's complete knowledge. A word, it's a fragment of a sentence, a part of a sentence. So a word of knowledge means that God releases to you a piece of knowledge, a piece of information. A word of knowledge is information about past or present facts. Past or present facts. It's information. It's like news coming from heaven. HGC, Holy Ghost Channel. It's coming from heaven. And you get the latest news or news about past events or present events. Facts, information released to you. Biblical examples of this. Some from the Old Testament. Samuel and Saul's donkeys. You read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. You know, Samuel... Uh, sorry, Saul had a, uh, was put in charge of his dad's donkeys. His dad, Kish, lost his donkeys. And so he calls his son, Saul, and says, Saul, can you, you know, take a servant and just go and find and bring these donkeys back? 
So Saul goes looking for these donkeys. You know, one day goes, another day goes. They're looking, they can't find these donkeys. And then finally he says, hey, let's go and ask the prophet. In those days, they went to the prophet for all kinds of things. So they said, let's go and ask the prophet if he can tell us where the donkeys are. So they find out that Samuel the seer, Samuel the prophet is nearby. So they're heading out to meet Samuel to get Samuel to tell them where their donkeys are. Now, God already speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, tomorrow morning a man will come. He is going to be the next, he's going to be the king of Israel. I want you, he's the chosen one to be the king of Israel. Sure enough, next morning Saul comes. But Saul is coming to ask Samuel about his donkeys. God has already spoken to Samuel saying, there's a man coming. He's going to be the king. So Saul comes and you know, he, he approaches Samuel. Sam, and the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, this is the one. And so Samuel says, you're the one God's chosen to be king. And don't worry about your donkeys. They have gone back to your father's house. Even before Saul can ask him, he's giving him the information. What is that? A supernatural impartation of present tense facts. Your donkeys are safe. They've gone back to your father's house. He didn't even start asking him about it. Another example is that of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me just give you the little background and then we'll pick the story up. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, here's what happens. Naaman, 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. Now the king of Syria, let me read that. The king of Syria, 2 Kings chapter 6, 8-12. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted this servant saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there not just once or twice. Then the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servant and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. The walls have prophet's ears. What happened was the king of Syria was making plans. I need to go and attack the king of Israel. I need to go here and go there. But you know, there was Elisha, he was telling the king of Israel, saying, hey, don't go there. The king of Syria is going to come there. Don't go there. So the king of Syria is wondering like, hey, maybe there's a spy in the camp. There's somebody here who's spying out all our plans and taking it across to the king of Israel. And one of his men speak up and say, hey, it's no spy. There's a prophet. His name is Elisha. He knows what you're speaking in your bedroom. How? Because God is revealing to him. God is revealing to him pieces of information. This is what the king of Syria is planning to do. Word of knowledge. Present tense facts. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the interesting story of Naaman, uh, who was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a leper. He comes to Elisha uh, to be healed. Uh, Elisha tells him, saying, you go dip yourself seven times in the river Jordan and you'll be healed. Anyway, so Naaman goes up there, he goes, dips himself seven times, he gets healed. Then he comes back to Elisha to offer him a gift and say a big thank you. Now, a little side trip. Tell a neighbor it's a side trip. Okay. You know, most prophets, thank God for prophets, all right? We love the prophetic, we love the prophetic ministry. But we need to correct some things that are going wrong. 
most prophets used the story of Elijah and the woman of Zarephath to tell people to bring them offerings. Right? Because they say, look at the example here. Elijah went, told the widowed woman of Zarephath, you cook this meal and bring it to me first. Then God will bless you. None of them ever quote the story of Naaman and Elisha. You know why? Because when Naaman came to give his gift to Elisha, Elisha said, I don't want it. He said, I don't want your gift. Amen. So, you know, we always use only Elijah and Zarephath widow women's story to tell people, bring the gift to the prophet. But we also need to use this story saying, hey, the prophet said, I don't want any gifts. Amen. Keep things right. Okay. So let's pick up this story here in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, verse 14. So he, that is Naaman, went down and dipped seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Israel, except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. I don't want your gift. The prophet said, I don't need your gift. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, You know, well, if it, um, if it, uh, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimen to worship there, and he leans on my hand, I bow down in the temple of Rimen. When I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So what he was saying is, look, when I go back, you know, I have to, you know, I have to serve my boss. I have to work with my boss. My boss is an idol worshiper. He's going to go in and bow down to his gods. I have to stand next to him. When he bows down, I also need to bow down. Please don't hold it against me because I don't worship that God. I worship the God of Israel. Elijah says, okay, no problem. Go in peace. So he goes. But Elijah has a prophet in training. His name is Gehazi. And Gehazi is up to some tricks here. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared this name and this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. Well, Naaman saw him running after him. He got down. You know, he called him on his cell phone saying, hey, just wait a minute. I'm coming there. So he comes down he, uh, and he gets off his chariot and he says, is all well? He says, all is well. My master has sent me saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him. He bound and bound two talents of silver in two bags and two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from his hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elijah said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, you know, I just went to the restroom. Your servant didn't go anywhere. Verse 26, and he said, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Word of knowledge. So Gehazi, you know, he goes, does his thing, gets all the money from Naaman, and he goes and hides it, and then he comes and stands before Elias. So, you know, I says, where did you go? I said, no, I didn't go anywhere. I'm just, I'm just, I didn't go anywhere. 
And Allah says, hey, I saw you. I saw you go out and get all that stuff from Naaman. What was it? A supernatural revelation to the prophet. A word of knowledge, a word of, knowledge of, a, of a present tense fact. This is what just happened right now. And Gehazi was held. So like this, we have many examples. Then of, of uh, Daniel revealing the king's dreams. In Daniel chapter 2, when uh, Daniel had to reveal the king's dreams. In Daniel 2, the king had a dream. He woke up in the morning and he said, you know, I know I had a dream, but I don't know what it is. You got to tell me my dream. So Daniel and his friends go and pray and say, God, reveal the dream to us. So God reveals the dream. That is a word of knowledge because God is revealing something that already took place in the, in the king's life. And then it comes and gives him the dream. Some examples in the New Testament, we look at Jesus in John 1, when Nathaniel comes to Jesus, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, behold an Israelite. Here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He's a clean guy. He's a nice guy, right? And then uh, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, you know, when you were standing under the fig tree, I saw you when Philip came and got you. It was just a little piece, a, a small piece of fact. You were under the fig tree when Philip came to get you and bring you to me. So, oh, you are the, you know, you are the Messiah. That was enough for Nathaniel to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And Jesus said, you know, you're, you're so amazed at this. You're going to see a lot more. Amen? Just a little piece, a word of knowledge, a small fact. You were under the fig tree when Philip came to get you. Another thing, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well of Samaria in John 4. You know, Jesus begins to get into a conversation with her. He talks about water and eternal water and all that. And then suddenly he looks up to her and he says, go call your husband. And the woman says, you know, I don't have a husband. And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, you've said it right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands. And the man with whom you're living now is not your husband. And the woman goes, oh, when did you know that? I perceive you're a prophet. And she begins, acknowledges him as the Messiah. And then, she, interestingly, she goes back to her village, and here's what she says. She says, come and see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Excuse me. <laughs> that wasn't true. You know, Jesus didn't tell her everything she did. He just told her a small piece of her life. But it had such an impact on her, she said, man, this guy knows my whole life. And people from the village came and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So one simple word of knowledge changed the life of a woman and her village. Amen. Uh, Luke 19, verses 29 to 34 is an interesting situation. Jesus is on his way to Bethany. He stops uh, with the disciples. He says, hey guys, I want you to go over into the town. When you enter the town, you're going to find a, a donkey tied uh, to a tree over there. I want, and so it's a donkey that's never been used. I want you to bring that donkey. And as you're bringing it, people are going to ask you, whom are you taking it for? You tell them you're taking it for the master. A word of knowledge. How did he know? There was a donkey over there, tied, that's never been used. How did he know what the people are going to ask him? Word of knowledge. And the disciples go and they find it exactly as Jesus said. Other examples in the New Testament would be Ananias and Sapphira. You know, Peter is sitting uh, in the temple, Ananias and Sapphira, they come and they bring a portion uh, of their offering. And uh, they, they kind of give the impression that they've brought all their offering after selling the lands. But then Peter says, you know, you've held back part of the money. How do you know it? Through a word of knowledge. Right? So what, is, what are the operations or purposes for the word of knowledge? It can help in solving problems and help in ministering to people. Something that happens in the past that is affecting the present. And usually... These gifts flow intertwined with each other. 
right? So let's say you're ministering to somebody and God gives you a revelation. He says, you know, five years ago, a certain situation happened in their life and that's why they are facing a problem right now. What is that? A word of knowledge. God is giving you a revelation, a small piece of un- information about something that happened in their life. He's not telling you, you know, everything from the day they were born to the day they're going to die. No. Just a small piece. Something happened five years ago. This happened in your life and that's why you're struggling with this right now. A piece of information. So it's useful when you're ministering to people. Other things when you're ministering, many times the word of knowledge goes along with the gift of healing. It flows together. Now you might say, you know, uh, God shows you a picture. Uh, uh, there's somebody here who's got a problem on their right leg, lower right leg. What is it? A word of knowledge. A piece of present of fact, information. Of something that's right there now. Now you just tell them, you know, you've got a problem on your left le- uh, right leg, lower part of your leg. They already know it. So no big news. Why does God do that? He gives it as an identifier because he is intending to release the gifts of healing to heal that person. So the gift, the word of knowledge will flow along with the gifts of healing. God identifies the people he wants to heal and the gifts of healing flow to bring healing to that person. To release for them to release their faith and say, okay God, I'm receiving it. You identified me, you identified, you identified my problem, you identified my condition, I'm receiving that healing. And so many times these gifts of the, of the Spirit just flow intertwined. They go along with each other. The prophecy will flow with word of knowledge and word of wisdom, with gifts of healing. They all just kind of flow together as a gift package. We just have to be available to the Lord. So when you're ministering to people, tune in to God. Say, God, you know, give me a word of knowledge. Is there something that you're saying about their present, about their past, uh, something that you want to say? And God will release words of knowledge and you just use it to minister to people. Amen? Uh, yesterday, the conference, after ministering everything, you know, uh, lunchtime, uh, one of the pastors there came and said, you know, pastor, two years ago you came, you prophesied over my life, uh, everything you said has come to pass, so I want you to pray again for me. I know my stomach is full of food now. <laughs> it's like a, I don't feel very spiritual now. You know, I'm ready to take a nap, you know. Uh, so I said, okay, you know, we'll go to the room and pray. So he insisted. So I said, okay, you know, we'll, just, we'll go to the room after lunch. Uh, so in the room, but when he came, he came along with four other pastors. So they all came to be prayed and prophesied. And inside me, I'm like, God, you know, this is so hot, so sticky here. Uh, we had a nice lunch. I'm ready to take a nap. And I'm supposed to prophesy to all these, you know, these are seasoned men of God. And I was like, God, just feeling nervous, you know. But anyway, they're all standing there expecting me to pray and prophesy. And so I just started, it's okay to say a simple prayer and start, you know, start with the first pastor. A praying prophesying, and then God begins to reveal things that have happened in his life. And so there are words of knowledge flowing along with words of wisdom, telling about the future, and prophecy revealing, bringing words of exhortation, and so on, bringing things into his life. So for example, things that were said were, you know, uh, there are people who have left your ministry. That's a word of knowledge, something that has already happened, information about things that have happened, which I wouldn't know, right? But God is saying he's going to raise up an Aaron and her who will stand beside you and hold up your hands. It's a prophecy, a word of wisdom showing what God is intending to do uh, for his life. Then saying there have been two knives that have pierced you, two false accusations that have come against you. What is that? A word of knowledge. Something that's happened that has caused wounds to inside you and your wife. But God is going to heal you and bring you to a place where you'll rise up and walk completely healed. Right? So word of knowledge is revealing something that has, has happened and then what God is going to do, bring healing to this thing. 
So to another pastor, for example, just ministering to him, I said, you know, you've been very, very shaky in the past, but God has brought you to a place of strength and stability. And right now, God is going to cause you to turn around and go back on the road that you have come because he wants you to connect back to something that you have left behind. This connection is so important for your life. He wants you to go back, connect to that, and then start moving forward. So then after all this time, this, the same pastor comes back and he says, you know, everything you said was so accurate, especially this thing about going back and connecting because I've been struggling with it for so long. You know? And God is speaking. How do you know these things? Is the word of knowledge revealing something or that has happened in his life and a word of wisdom telling him what God wants him to do, that he needs to go back and connect. Word of wisdom, revealing the mind and the purpose and the will of God for his life. Amen. So when these gifts flow, they just flow together. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of healing just flow together. Let's do the last one, descending of spirits. Are your spirits still here? I hope your mind and bodies are still here too. Amen. Descending of spirits. What is the gift of discerning of spirits? What's the definition? It's the ability <clears throat> to supernaturally see <clears throat> either into the spirits of people, that's into the hearts of people, or into the spirit realm. The word discern means to see into and to tell the difference. Discern. You're able to see into, you're able to tell the difference. So discerning of spirits, you can discern means see into the spirits of people, human hearts, to know the motivations, to know the origin of something. Or you're able to see into the spirit realm. So what is the purpose of this? You're able to discern the spirits of people, what's motivating them, what's really in their heart. You're able to discern the source of influence on them. What is the source of influence? Is it really God or something else? You're able to see what the Lord is doing. You're able to see in the spirit realm, what is the Lord doing in the realm of the spirit? You're able to see what Satan is scheming and doing in the spirit. So discerning of spirits means the ability to see and tell the difference. Now the discerning of spirits is different from discernment, which is an acquired ability, right? So as we all go through life, going through all the hardships of life, we develop some amount of discernment, right? Some guy comes to talk to you and says, man, I don't feel very comfortable. You know why? Because he smells like this, he looks like this and all that. And so it's your, it's your, it's your discernment operating, which you acquired. And you, you know, you've gone through some bad experiences working with similar kind of people. So now you can pick up those signals. And, and, you, and that's your gift of, that's your discernment, your acquired ability to know, you know, people to work with, people to avoid. But the gift of discernment is a supernatural impartation. It comes, it's not this acquired ability, it's an impartation from God that helps you see into the hearts of people, uh, uh, see what is the source or origin of their inspiration of what they're doing, or to see in the realm of the spirit, to see what God is doing, or to see what Satan is up to, all right? So there's a difference. Now we need both, as I said earlier in wisdom, we need both acquired wisdom and the gift of the word of wisdom. Same thing, we need natural dis uh, acquired discernment, and we also need the gift of discerning of spirits. What are some examples of uh, discerning of spirits? In the Old Testament, just, just a couple of examples. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, we read about um, the king of Syria who had come and surrounded uh, the city, and Elijah's servant says, Oh, wow. He sees all the armies, all the soldiers, and he says, Master, what are we going to do? We are surrounded by this army. And what does Elijah say? He says, Lord, he says, Hey, there are more who are with us, then who are with them. And says, Lord, I pray open his eyes. 
And when Gehazi, when his servant's eyes are opened, he sees the mountain full of horses and chariots, heavenly hosts. With his natural eyes, he saw the armies. With his eyes opened, he saw what God was doing in the spirit realm. Amen. The discerning of spirits to see what God is doing in the realm of the spirit. Some New Testament examples, Jesus, in many places you read about Jesus, knowing the thoughts of people's hearts, even without them expressing it. In Matthew chapter 9, for instance, you know, when they uh, brought this, uh, when the four friends brought their other friend who was paralyzed, they let him down to the roof. Jesus looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, the Pharisees standing by in their minds, in their hearts, they're thinking, how, how does this man have the right to forgive sins? And the Bible says, Jesus knowing what they were thinking in their hearts. They didn't verbalize it. They didn't say it. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. How? Discerning of spirits. And so then he addressed that and went on. One interesting example is in Matthew 16, verses 22 to 23. You know, Peter, just a few moments back, Peter had, had this revelation from God. And he said about Jesus, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus begins to talk to his, his disciples about going to be crucified on the cross. And Peter comes up and says, Lord, we are never going to allow you to be crucified. Now, if you looked at it in the natural, you say, wow, what a nice disciple. He really loves his master. He is so attached to his master. He doesn't want his master to die. He is the best, the closest, the most faithful, most absolutely committed disciple. He says, we will never let you die, Jesus. But what did Jesus tell Peter? Get, be, get thee behind me, Satan. Very interesting. If you looked at it in the natural, you'd say, whoa, he's the most committed. But Jesus looked past that. He saw in the realm of the Spirit, he saw the origin of these words. Satan speaking. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah? So you've got to be very careful. Sometimes people say all nice things about you. And you've got to know. So they give the discerning of spirits. You'll know where it's actually coming from. Amen. Luke chapter 22, next point. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, you know, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail when you are restored. Strengthen your brethren. So Jesus knew in the spirit what Satan was scheming and planning to do against Peter. How was this? Through the discerning of spirits. He knew what Satan was up to. So in closing... What are the operations of the discerning of spirits? How do we use them? Here are some of them, some of the examples of how we would, uh, the gift of the discerning of spirits would be useful in our life and ministry. One, in recognizing the real source of the problem when ministering to people. Now, when you're ministering to people, for example, somebody comes and says, you know, I've been, I've been having this problem in my life, and it's just been going on for the last five years. I've never been able to get out of it. You know, maybe it's an addictive behavior. Maybe it's a lifestyle problem and whatever. And, and, you know, usually what we'll do is we'll say, okay, you know, how did he get into it? You know, one, you know, once a fine evening, I was so tired. It was Friday evening. It was happy hour. I went into the pub, and I got unhappy. Ever since then, I've been unhappy, you know. Uh, you know, so we try to analyze, you know, how did all this happen? Let's fix the problem. No more happy hours, etc. You know. Okay, all that's fine. But sometimes, in some cases, it's not just a, a, a natural problem. The root cause of the problem is a familiar spirit. It's, it's demonic. And in the Bible, you use the term familiar spirit. Now, what is a familiar spirit? It's just a spirit that has become familiar with that person or an object or a thing. 
right? Now we're talking about people now, so we'll, we'll restrict our, our conversation to that, or the monologue to that, you know. <laughs> Since you can't speak back to me, it's okay. Uh, uh, a familiar spirit, it's become familiar, I mean acquainted with that person's behavior. It could be a thought pattern, it could be a behavior pattern, and it's taken up residence in that area of that person's life. And from that place of residence, it's influencing and controlling that person's behavior. There's a thought pattern, behavior pattern, etc. So, uh, you know, lifestyle, moods, all of these things are being affected by a familiar spirit. So when you're dealing with this person, you, you need to be very sensitive, saying, Lord, give me the discerning of spirits so that I understand the real problem. What's the root problem? What's causing this thing in his life? Why is he going through this over and over and over again? What's happening? And God says, look, it's really demonic. It's a familiar spirit. So what do you do? You don't say, woo, I detect a spirit there. No. What you do is you just pray. And in your prayer, you deal with the spirits. So you say, in Jesus' name, I take authority over the unclean spirit. I break the whole of that spirit over your life. So it's not just a, a, a natural problem. The root of the problem is goes deeper to a familiar spirit, and you're dealing with that spirit to set that person free uh, from that uh, continual habit. And you need to bring that person to a place of repentance and close all entry points. No more access to those familiar spirits in that person's life. They need to choose an opposite lifestyle to, to break all ties with that spirit. Uh, why do we, another area of, recognize, uh, of uh, the discerning of spirit, some more operations would be uh, recognizing true and false ministers, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error in teaching. So you need the discerning of spirit to recognize true and false ministers. Oh, no, Satan does not come and appear to us and say, look, I am a false teacher. It doesn't come like that. The Bible says that Satan comes like an angel of light. So how do you detect, man, this guy looks fine, he looks like an angel of light. How do you detect if he's really a messenger of Satan? Very important, the discerning of spirits. Because you see past what, what meets the eye. You see the origin of what's coming through this person. Whether it's a spirit of truth or whether it's a spirit of error that's bringing this teaching. And in, through the discerning of spirits, you put your finger on the right thing. This is a spirit of error that's bringing this teaching through this man. Or he himself is a false teacher or a false minister, right? The discerning of spirits helps you detect that. It helps you detect the real motivations of people's hearts. So somebody comes to the pastor, you know, uh, I really want to join the ministry. I really want to work with all people's church. It's the best church in the world, you know. It's like all these wonderful things they say. And then you're, you know, they may not say all those things because they say nice things. And, but you're listening and you're saying, God, I want to know the motivation of the heart. God, I'm going to look past all these words. I want to see the motivation of the heart. And then you realize, okay, the motivation of the heart is not really where it's supposed to be. The motivations are wrong. How do you do that? To the discerning of spirits. God helps you see what's really on in the heart. Recognizing what God is doing in the spirit realm and positioning yourself accordingly. Uh, recognizing Satan's plans and counteracting them through prayer and warfare. So if you're going through a difficult time, you just pray and say, Lord, uh, give me the gift of discerning of spirits. I want to know what exactly is the enemy doing. Jesus said, Satan. Peter, Satan is doing this. He's getting ready to sift you as wheat, but I've counteracted it. I've prayed for you. So when there are things going wrong, begin to pray. Say, Lord, open my eyes. I want to understand what's really happening in the realm of spirit so that I can take proper action to counteract what the enemy is doing and move with what you are doing in my life. Amen? So all these gifts, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, just in your spirits, is available to every believer. We must ask the Lord. We must desire we must covet earnestly. The Bible says, covet earnestly the best gifts. Amen? 
I want to encourage you in your daily life, keep in tune with the Spirit of God and ask Him for these gifts. In your place of work, ask the Lord, Lord, give me a gift of word of wisdom. Uh, Lord, when you're talking to people, say, God, give me a word of knowledge. When you're counseling people, interacting with people, God, I need a word of wisdom or I need a discerning of spirits. I, I need these gifts to flow through so that I can minister effectively, bless people, and glorify God.